Welcome to the October 17th, 2023 podcast of Wisdom Today. Hello, my name is Bill Kelly and I'll be your host today. Today we'll be going over Proverbs 17, but before we begin, let's open in prayer. Father God, I thank you for anyone listening to this podcast today. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to each one listening today how much you truly love each and every one. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Proverbs 17, beginning in verse 1. Better is a dry morsel with quietness than a house full of feasting with strife. A wise servant will rule over a son who causes shame and will share an inheritance among the brothers. The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. An evildoer gives heed to false lips. A liar listens eagerly to a spiteful tongue. He who mocks the poor reproaches his maker. He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children is their father. Excellent speech is not becoming to a fool, much less lying lips to a prince. A present is a precious stone in the eyes of its possessor. Wherever he turns, he prospers. He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. Rebuke is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows on a fool. An evil man seeks only rebellion, therefore a cruel messenger will be sent against him. Let a man meet a bear robbed of her cubs, rather than a fool in his folly. Whoever rewards evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. The beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. Why is there in the hand of a fool the purchase price of wisdom, since he has no heart for it? A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A man devoid of understanding shakes hands in a pledge and becomes surety for his friend. He who loves transgression loves strife. And he who exalts his gate seeks destruction. He who has a deceitful heart finds no good. And he who has a perverse tongue falls into evil. He who begets a scoffer does so to his sorrow. And the father of a fool has no joy. A merry heart does good like medicine. But a broken spirit dries the bones. A wicked man accepts a bribe behind the back to pervert the ways of justice. Wisdom is in the sight of him who has understanding, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. A foolish son is a grief to his father, 
and bitterness to her who bore him. Also to punish the righteous is not good, nor to strike princes for their uprightness. He who has knowledge spares his words, and a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. Friends, I have a special treat for you today. I have a fellow second-year Karis Bible College student, Don Smith. And Don, I'd like to thank you for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, it's certainly a pleasure, Bill. Thanks for letting me be here. Wow, you know, we just read Proverbs 17, and I can think of a number of verses that we could expound on, but which one spoke to you directly, Don, today? And tell the audience why. Yeah, I appreciate that, Bill. And, you know, just as I was reading through Proverbs 17, I just kept hearing in my heart people. It seems like this entire chapter, it just really helps you to understand how to love people, how to treat people right. And one of the verses that jumped out to me is Proverbs seventeen seventeen, And it says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. And, you know, that's a verse that, um, you know, back home, one of my buddies, we call it on to. And uh, it kind of became our, just kind of our motto, you know. Um, we were just always willing to, to take the punches. And I think that that's really what it takes to get close to people. You've got to have, um, there was a book that was called Teflon Skin. And so people are people. We, uh, we aren't always perfect. Sometimes we wake up on the wrong side of the bed and maybe need to go take another nap. <laughs> but um, a friend can see through when you're having an off day. And um, man, I so value people that you can be yourself around, that you can lay your head down or put your hair down rather. And you don't have to always say it perfect the first time. There's going to be grace upon grace. I remember one of my buddies, um, he said, Don, did you ever wonder why we're so close? And I was like, well, I never really thought about it. I just enjoy hanging out with you. He said, well, a couple of years back, I realized that God really has a call in your life and, and he's doing great things in you. And so I just made a decision in my heart. No matter what Don does, I'm going to be his friend. I just made a decision that you can say something to me that may not be what I want to hear at the moment. You can even be a little unkind. And I just committed, I'm going to love you. I'm going to be here for you. And that is so different than than just friends who are there because of what you give to them or because of the effect you have on their social standing or all these other trivial things that we might say, oh, that's that's someone I want to get close to. A brother, they're going to show up when it's late. They're going to answer the phone. They're going to understand when you don't even answer the phone. And they're going to love you still. And um, I was reading uh, Andrew's Living Commentary on this. And I didn't even think about it. I should have. But he relates this back to Jesus. How that he explains that a friend... Um, is someone who lays down his life, uh, or no greater love is this than, uh, than you lay down your life for your friends. And man, Jesus did that. He had every opportunity to write me off, to say, that's it. We've hit the seven times 70 mark and, and you're out of, out of redos. And yet he doesn't. In fact, it goes on to say in Romans 5, 8, 
that God demonstrated his love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, he died for us. That's a friend that loves at all times. That's a brother who was born for adversity. And we can have confidence in our big brother, Jesus. And um, I definitely aspire to be someone who's real and who gives permission to people to grow. Um, there's grace for, for each person to uh, just to figure it out. You know, the first time that the Lord really convicted my heart uh, about how I was treating some people different than others, it was one of my, my family members. And man, if you came up to me, Bill, and said, Don, I've been struggling today, and, and you went down the list, I said this word, and I was mean, and I looked at someone, and I wasn't quite as kind as I wanted to be, I would have infinite grace for you, Bill. I mean, I would, I would walk you through the gospel. I would point you to Jesus. I would help you to see that there's power in the Lord. There's forgiveness. Like Paul, you can forget what lies behind and press on to what lies ahead. But if you were my family and you were less than perfect, I had a short leash. I didn't recognize, oh my goodness, these family members are people too. And this verse doesn't... Stop applying to them because I know their dirty laundry. I know when I was a, a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old how they made me feel. If Jesus is Lord, then they deserve grace too. And so those are just a few of the thoughts that come to mind. But man, God is so good. And having him in your life, it really puts a premium on people. You see in any exchange, hey, if there's a person involved, there's an opportunity for love to be at the table, and I'm going to love this person well. And so that just excites me. That excites me. So. Well, that's so good. Um, I'm going to bring up two scripture references, Don, to what you just said. Number one, the importance of having a friend. In, book, uh, in Proverbs chapter 27, 17, it talks about as iron sharpens mm. iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. And you just brought that out so poetically. It was just brilliant what you just said, and so true in how we are today, because most people don't do that. But I also want to go to the book of James chapter 2, mm -hmm. because the James chapter 2, God is telling us that we are not to show partiality mm -hmm. to different people. He talks about a man coming in that's wealthy and well-dressed and someone who comes in like a homeless person without shoes on his feet. And Jesus sets the example. He says to us, we're not to look more favorably on that guy who has the nice clothes. Thank you. God, you just remind me so much of what Jesus would be like. You exemplify to me just by your first five minutes you make me want to be around you, and that's awesome. But Don, some of the people listening today may not know you. If you would, Don, please share with us just a few experiences of your early life and your fondest memories growing up. Mm, amen. Well, Bill, this has been super fun already, and I so appreciate you. Um, earlier today, you'd asked me, and I don't know if I'm jumping the gun here, but you were like, Don, what's the the biggest decision you ever made in your life. And um, I probably should have just said Jesus up the gate, but I really thought about it. I didn't want to just throw out a cliche answer. I hate that. Man, just be real. That's, that's my heart. 
And I thought about that for just a moment there, and I realized, oh my goodness, coming to know Jesus has set my life on a trajectory that has changed every part of me. You know, I thought about this one time, and I was like, if I didn't serve the Lord, I really wouldn't have anything else to live for. There's nothing in my life that I get excited about, or I can really look someone in the eye and say, I've got something that's going to encourage them. Anytime that I bring out Don, it, it goes flat most of the time. But when I bring out Jesus, man, I can see a joy and a peace and a comfort. And so where that journey started for me, my dad actually sat me down. I was 11 years old. I'd been going to church my whole life. I mean, ever since I was a baby, I was in church with someone. And so he said, uh, he calls me Ray. He says, Ray, have you ever made a... Uh, uh, decision to follow Jesus? Have you asked him to be the Lord of your life? I didn't know. I was like, not sure. Well, he had me call the 700 Club, um, which I think that was really a beautiful moment now to look back at it. You know, he really helped me to see that this is a, a sober moment. This is a very special quality decision I'm going to be making. And I prayed with them and I invited Jesus to be my Lord. And literally in that moment, I began to sense on my life a grace. I didn't know those words back then, but I had a purpose in my heart. And I literally had a picture of me being on a stage. And I don't share this with, with people very often just because I still don't understand it completely. But I could just look out. And as far as the eye could see, I could just see people. And I was ministering to those people. And I don't know if that's a literal stage or if that's just the platform of how the Lord has used me in my life. And, and one by one, that platform of building commonality with people, coming alongside in them, giving them the grace I've been given. But I saw myself ministering to multitudes and it just, it really fired me up. Ever since I was 11, I wanted to be a minister. And, um, you know, that wasn't a perfect trajectory, though straight arrow from from there to here, there were times where I resented that because I didn't understand it. I didn't know what to do with it. I went through the hormone stage and, you know, Jesus or girlfriend. <laughs> well, that was an easier decision to make. Well, I want to be with my girlfriend. And so sometimes it was hard to reconcile. And uh, I would talk to her all the time. And it was a roller coaster uh, for my early dating years because I had a I had a, a conviction in me that I couldn't remove. And so anytime I would go further down towards the world and the ways of the world, there was something in me that anchored me. And I had to retract. I had to come back. One, um, one thing that I always loved doing growing up, and I still do it to this day. I, I now have a name for it. I call it Consider the Lilies. <laughs> and... Um, I joke to, to say that the, the lilies need preaching too, but I just love going out into a field or off on a hike and just talk to the Lord. I've done that my whole life, and the Holy Spirit has just become a best friend to me in that way. Um, but one of the things that really did take my experience in walking in the Lord to a new level was being baptized in the Holy Spirit. When I was 17, um, my mom and I went to this meeting, and I had been... We call it tarrying in the Church of God or Pentecostal. And I had been tarrying until I was tired. And I was tired of tarrying. I just wanted the thing. And I remember when I got filled with the Spirit, it was a really cool experience. 
I had my hands lifted up. And this uh, woman, she was ministering to me. And uh, I began to pray in the Spirit. It wasn't a very elaborate word. I was just saying a, like a syllable or two. But I literally felt like someone took a, a jar of warm honey and poured it out. And it started at the top of my fingertips. And it began to flow down. And I could feel it overcoming my head and all the way down my body. I could feel myself wrapped in just this warm, I call it honey. And... um Man, God is just so good. Since that moment, one of the defining characteristics that I attribute to the Lord is just this ability to tap into peace, a peace that passes understanding. And man, that's the coolest feeling because I've seen some some stuff, not compared to others, but for my own life, I've, I've been part of things that were not very peaceful. And yet there's a peace in those moments. I can find the Holy Spirit meets me. And I think that's the picture I have. I think in pictures, I think we all do. But I can just see God with me when I go into difficult places, even financial tight spots. I can just see the Lord is with me. And that picture of me being, well, it says it like this in Psalm 125, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. And I imagine that. I imagine that I'm just nestled right in the center of God's very own presence and person, and uh, I feel invincible. I feel like I can do whatever he tells me to, and I don't know if that's what you're looking for, but man, those are the things that came to mind. God's just really good. Well, thanks, Don. You know, you speak really like, I think of the tongue of a ready writer, is Mm -hmm. what I think about. We just did that production for David last year at Karis, but You remind me of of Romans chapter 8, verse 6. And Paul wrote this letter, and and in that letter to the Romans, it says, to be carnally minded is death, Mm. but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And Don, just these few moments together, you know, it's unfortunate. We're, you know, in the second semester of our second year, and I haven't known you all that well, but I'm sure glad I had you on today. But, you know, you have the peace of God. And, and like you mentioned, that, that peace passes all understanding. <laughs> and Don, for anyone who doesn't know the Lord, they just don't understand this peace that we have. They just say, you know, and in 1 Peter 3.15, it says, always be ready to give an account of the hope that is in you. And what Peter's telling us here is that we need to be ready to share Christ. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't know him, and if you haven't invited him, to come into your heart, you just can't understand this peace that we have. Oh, it's so awesome. Anyway, you mentioned you're 31 years old, mm-hmm. and so we're, we, we've been saved at an early age. If you would, just kind of take us through that period of between 11 to 25, 30, you know. Tell us about what happened. Mm-hmm. Where did you start your career? Tell us about your walk once you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Yeah. Well, again, I was 11, and so still just a kid in school. Um, I think that knowing that I had Jesus in my life, it did make me think differently. I I don't know how to put this into words necessarily, and I don't think I even thought these words at the time. But I know that I, I knew something that others didn't know. I just knew that. And things that seem to be valuable or important to others, 
they didn't seem all that important to me. And I think it protected me from getting caught up into stuff. Um, something that maybe I, I don't talk about this very often, but I never got caught up into drugs. And the reason for it is I have a lot of family that did. And in fact, part of my motivation to pursue a better life, a better path, I had a lot of bad examples of where other decisions took my family. And it took me a long time to overcome the hurt and the and just kind of the resentment I had towards my own family. I didn't know how to process it, but I just knew I don't want to be like, and I would think, I don't want to be like this person or this person or this person. And they were the close people in my family. And so I basically just made a choice. Whatever they did, I'm going to do the opposite. It wasn't until I was 21 that I was in Texas. And we were sitting around one day, and the fun thing to do at that time was to talk about um, what it's like back home. And so the conversation would go like this. Hey, Bill, if I were to come to Florida with you, um, what, what's it like? What were people in Florida like? What, what's your family like? And most of the people around the table, they would share something that is funny or peculiar about their tribe or their people. And all of a sudden, for the first time, I saw all the things I wanted to fix about my family are the exact things that I wanted to share with the group of people around me. The way they said certain words, what we would do after dinner, how we would connect. And my heart opened up. It's like the Grinch. It grew that day (laughs) 10 times. And I realized, oh my goodness, when I go home, I pray to God that they haven't changed because that is what I now treasure. Don't change the way you say that, mom. Don't change the way that you do that, grandma. Don't change the way that we handle this thing or do that thing. You are my people. And I've just told all these other people that if they came to visit, they're going to get this. And I began to see another thing that um, hit me during the same time. My dad, um, he's a very affectionate and kind and encouraging guy. He would write me letters. My mom and dad, they broke up whenever I was very young. But my dad maintained this connection with us by writing everybody letters. I've got a stack of letters that is just incredible from my dad. I didn't know why he did the letters until when I was 21. His dad passed away when I was in Texas. And for the first time in my dad's life, he heard the words, I love you, son, from his dad. Now, my grandfather... um, he, he was a Navy man, and he was a very, you know, cold and exacting kind of figure. And my dad wasn't the, the perfect son. I mean, he made a lot of mistakes, and certainly to say I'm proud of you in every season of my dad's life it wouldn't be the most natural thing. But what I saw, my heart broke. I have lived in this luxury of being lavished with my father's love. I've never doubted for a second. I have no images and no words in my mind or memory of my family ever disapproving of me or ever thinking less of me. I have no, I have some friends, they have to overcome the opinions of their parents. 
I only have support and love and encouragement. And so I say all that to say, who am I to reject the baton that they fought their whole lives to give to me in a hope that I would take our family further in the race that God's called us? If I look back and say, not enough. My mom, she, she didn't do this or she didn't do that. Well, my mom didn't do a lot of things, but she provided and she loved me in a way that she didn't even have love herself. And so I realized at 21 years old, instead of me resenting the shortcomings of my family, instead of me being upset about what I didn't have or what they did do or the quality of decisions that they were making, I realized as a man of God and as a representative of my family, I've been given a baton. They fought their whole life to get to me, and I'm going to take our family further. I'm going to give to my family and to my children and their generations what my family fought so hard to give to me and what they didn't have the luxury to give to me. And I hope that my children will show me the same grace. When they look at the whole import of my life experience, I hope that they see dad didn't do everything right, but he gave us this. And we're going to take this and we're going to sow this and we're going to make something great out of this. And so for anyone out there who's listening and, and you're less than pleased with your family's performance, love them. And value the things that they got to you. And you take the wisdom. You take the insight that you have that would want to criticize and judge them for their shortcomings. And you fill in the gaps. You pass a baton forward that is more complete than the one you were given. And treasure the thing that you were given. Because they fought their whole lives to get that to you. And so those are just some of the things. And it's not really good... Uh, this thing happened, that thing happened. That's been my whole life, though. I, I don't always live outside. I, I live on the inside. And I'm learning now. Actually, 2022 was one of the first years that the Lord has started to show me that living is done with your feet. You go do things. I spent the bulk of my life thinking about things and processing things. I'm a verbal processor, if you didn't know. <laughs> um, but now I'm starting to live out the things that I've been thinking and um, one, one quick uh, aside here that I did do, when I came home from Texas, I realized that um, there was a lot of room for my relationship with my family to grow. I had harbored so much hurt in my heart, and I had felt other, and they even recognized he's other. And I didn't like that anymore. I wanted to be one. And so what the Lord gave me as an idea on how I can start bridging this gap, I wasn't dating at the time. So the Lord said, well, why don't you date your sisters and your mom? With the effort and the time and the money that you would put in dating a young lady, take your sisters out. And so for the last eight years or so, um, in little ways, I have had them doll up and I've taken them out. I took my mom to this uh, this nutcracker performance, and we got an awesome, you know, uh, dinner. And, and so just those little moments were ways that God was redeeming the time and redeeming the relationship. And now, Bill, this is so cool. My family is actually going to be paying off the rest of my mission trip. And why that's significant 
is at, when I was in kindergarten, I had made a decision. I could see the instability of my family, and I knew that they didn't need more problems. So I had made a decision. I will never be a burden to my family. If I'm sick, I'm going to suck it up. If I need money for, I remember there was an $8 fee for us to get a badge for being a part of the state choir. We won the state choir. And my, my music teacher even said, hey, doesn't matter what your background is. You need to get this pen because this is a huge achievement that not every you know, middle schooler gets to enjoy. This is a significant. As soon as he started talking, I said, I will never bring this up to my parents. The thought of bringing to my mom or dad a financial need that they couldn't meet and for them to look me in the eye and say, I can't do that, that hurt me. So I disagreed. I will never put them in a position where they say I can't do that. And so my whole life, I have not invited them to partner with me in anything. It's always been the other way around. Hey, we kind of need help over on this side. Can you help us? And, and I would give them things and give them money. Bill, I need my family's help today. And when I go to England and Scotland, it's going to be because my family, over the course of 10 years, how the Lord has been healing us and making us one is actually able to be a part of my life in a significant way. And they're able to partner with me. And there is a blessing that's coming upon them. There's a dignity that is imposed upon a giver. And, and my family is going to be a part of this. And so that that's, means a lot to me. And I'll give the mic back to you. I appreciate the opportunity. That's okay. Um, I'm here to uh, give the opposite side of the testimony, and for those of you who are new to this podcast, I've mentioned this on a number of occasions. I was raised in a house, that, and I, I, you know, we were we were fairly well off because of my grandparents, not my parents. But um, I don't ever remember my dad once telling me that he loved me. Mm. So when you're given that testimony, I'm just sitting there saying I can't even relate to that. You know, you're looking at two different sides of the spectrum. You're at 99 or 100, and I'm at zero or one. Mm. So for those of you who have not experienced what Don does, I am a living testimony that you don't have to be mired in that clay any longer. Just because your dad did not treat you correctly, know that you can rise above that. Yeah. But I'm going to go to Philippians chapter 4, and in verse 8, I really like what Paul says in his letter. It says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, Think on these things. Don, what you have portrayed to the people here is the importance of people in our lives. And, you know, I am here as a testament. People, Don, are the most important things. They're much, much more important than material things. And people go their whole lives trying to strive, trying to improve that bigger house, that better car, this, this, this. Friends, it's not about material things. We could lose everything that we have material-wise, but if we still have the loved ones in our lives, that is really what is most important. What are your thoughts on that, Don? Yeah, uh, people are so 
so valuable. You know, there, there's these temptations in, in our life to try to get one over on someone, especially when it comes to buying things. You know, even Proverbs is honest about this, where when you're the buyer, you go, bad, bad. And, but then when you get the deal, you go, oh, that was good. And so there is a temptation, and, and negotiation is important. But at the end of the day, there was a person at the other end of that transaction, and they are watching the film of how that, that goes down. Like, for instance, when it comes to selling a vehicle, man, just be honest. Actually, I remember when our roommates and I, we were talking about living together, and there was this really kind of funny moment. One of my roommates likes to play video games, and, and he's kind of a, a late owl kind of type, the, the night owl type. And so instead of us trying to push that under the rug and get the other two guys to see our, our best side, oh, yeah, we have stable jobs, and uh, we, we love Jesus, and trying to hide these other parts of us, my, my friend and I looked at each other. We're on a Zoom call. And um, we look back at the camera and go, well, we need to let you know what you're signing up for. And we just put all of our dirty laundry out there. We explained if you live with us. And we painted the worst picture. Honestly, Bill, I'm one of the worst salesmen. Because I'll tell you if it's a good buy or not. And if it's not a good buy, or if it's not a good buy for you, I'll talk you out of it. And so I literally did everything in my power to present the clearest picture to these other guys about what they realistically are going to get when they live with us. It follows the same example of the interview. Man, I hate interviews. Because interviews, it's this like, it's this tug of war between do I present the most positive picture or do I put myself into the dumps and let them to figure out the difference. Here's my goal in an interview, and it was in this interviewing roommate scenario. I want the same guy that you met in the interview to show up on Monday. That's always been my heart. The same guy that you heard and talked to and got to learn with all the idiosyncrasies that I can offer is the same exact guy you're going to see. And that's kind of part of the reason that dating doesn't work for me. Because if I'm odd, why would I hide that for, from you for seven months for you to learn to like all these other best parts of me, and I'll be honest, Bill, there's a lot of good parts of me, but they're nestled within a lot of parts that are awkward and odd and, and not necessarily what you would say is, is a, a, a drama series kind of guy. And I like that. I just like being real. And I think that that sometimes is hard for, for people to see and respond to. And so... How does that relate to people over possessions? When you realize that you are a real person, and there's also a real person, you can do the dance, and you can try to hide all of the parts of you you don't like, or you can just love the person in front of you. You can come alongside them, and money is one of the coolest ways to do it, or possessions, because you can communicate something in an exchange, a gift, that it takes decades to try to get across. Whenever I say, Bill, let me cover that lunch for you. It's a little thing, but it says so much. I value you. I appreciate you. When it comes to, you know, a service, some people have this weird idea that if you're my friend, Bill, 
and you own a business and I call you up, you know what I want from you? I want a discount because I'm a friend. Hmm. That's completely backwards. If you're my friend, Bill, I want to pay extra. I want to give you a premium because I know that I'm investing in good soil and I know that you're going to do quality work and I know that I've saved myself money because I don't have to go and run around and find someone who's going to keep their word. When I buy your services as your friend, I should be the first person to not only pay full price, but to talk you into increasing your price. People have this weird mistaken notion, almost a gang-related, mafia-based notion, that if we're in it together, you rub my back and I rub your back. That's not a friend at all. A brother is born for adversity. And I want to be a brother to the people around me. And I want to communicate to them, you're worthy of your hire. You're worth my time. You're worth my investment. You're worth being recognized. You're worth being appreciated. You're worth someone just coming alongside of you and saying, I appreciate you. And here's a gift to just help you remember when the lies of the world come in and says you're not worth anything, you've got something in your hands that says, well, someone thinks I'm worth something. There's value when we recognize that our money can communicate eternal truths to someone we care about. And so I just love loving on people, man. This is fun. And it's also fun when I'm playing board games. This is the coolest thing. The principles of the kingdom don't stop working just because you're on a board game. Man, I'll play Monopoly. I'll buy people property. They'll, they'll be struggling trying to figure out. I'll buy it for them. And now, obviously, I work in some cool business negotiations, which if you want to play Monopoly in a really fun way, play with me because it will be an experience. But, man, you can, you can have charitable giving inside of games, and it makes everyone go tilt. And it's the funnest thing to see how, by the end, you actually you prosper. And so, I don't know, man. I just like talking, to, talking about this. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> wow. That's really good, Don. You bring up some real good points. Um, what I'd like to do is you work for the phone center. Mm -hmm. And for those of you unfamiliar with what I'm talking about is, is Don is a prayer partner of the ministry of the college we go to. And, and if people have a need or if they're struggling or if, uh, you know, they have a health condition or, you know, their parent just died, they call the prayer center. And Don is one of the people in the other line. Don, if you would, Explain to the audience how important it is to pray for people mm -hmm. and to learn to listen to the needs of people and share the love of God with them. Yeah. Oh, man, this is huge. So here's the first lesson you learn when you're a phone minister. You are not God. That is huge. You know, I imagine the people listening to Bill's podcast are faith people people who are aspiring to grow in the Lord, to, to find truths in the Word. And so you probably are going to be someone that others recognize, hey, this person here is from God. When I have a felt need in my life, I'm going to go to this person, a Christian. And the phone center, it's a magnet for hurting people, for needs. And your life, as you grow closer in the Lord, it is a magnet for hurting people in felt needs. And here's the first thing you need to know when people come to you with their needs. They're not coming to you. 
They're coming to your God. And when you are praying with people, you don't have to fix their theology. You don't have to fix all their life story. You don't have to take them through every single stone that is turned the wrong way and turn it back to the right way. That's a lot of work. And that's only the work that truly the Holy Spirit can do effectively. He knows exactly which stone is the domino that can put all the other stones back in place. And so the best thing you can do when someone comes to you is you realize a couple of things. There's a person in front of you. That's number one. That's a person. Not a problem. Not a project. Not a series of of, of questions that you have to muster up answers for. Answers that you probably only thought about in the last 10 seconds, if we're honest, that you've never even tried. No, we're not going to do that either. What we are going to do is we're going to love the person. And then we're going to let that person know, hey, that problem you have, that's a problem. And I know someone who can fix that problem. And as fast as you can, and I don't mean insensitive, I just mean love them, but look for an opportunity to say, let's take that problem to God. Here's why we do that. When we finish that conversation, their eyes should be on God. So that the next time that problem rears its ugly head, guess what? They not only know a person who knows God, but now they have an opportunity to go to God themselves. Here's one of the worst compliments you can ever get as a prayer minister. And I didn't know this. I was very immature when I started. When, they, when we finish the prayer, and here's how they answer. They go, wow, I wish I could pray like that. You're a really good prayer minister. Wow, brother, you're so good at this. You know what I've done in that phone call? I have just communicated to that person, hey, I'm a problem solver. Come to me. Bring that problem back here. I'll whip it into shape. When we jump right into correcting their theology, right into fixing this, right into saying, well, here's the formula, brother. It worked for me. It'll work for you every time. When we do that, we communicate, number one, you're not as good as me. But if you want to be as good as me, you come back here and I'll help you out next time. That's the worst message you can send to someone hurting. You need to get their eyes on God. Only God can fix problems. Only God can tackle the big issues. And you are an effective detour that says, come this way, go to God. Come here, go to him. And so that's my encouragement. Just love the person. Don't fix the person. Don't feel the burden of their weight. It's not too hard for God. You don't have to carry that burden any more than they do. So let's get them to set their eyes on him and give it to him. And then they're going to find freedom. And so that's what I would say. Well, that's really good. Don, I'm going to give you a couple minutes to just share anything with the audience that you would like. So if you would, you have, you know, two or three minutes. Go ahead and just share anything that's on your heart right now. Oh, I appreciate that, Bill. I'll tell you the thing that's been on my heart for the last the last few months. The Lord's really brought this to a head. The Bible told us in Genesis to be fruitful and multiply. And if I'm honest, guys, and maybe if you're honest with me, we've gotten that backwards. We have been people who are multiplying and trying to bear fruit. Guys, if you're hearing something new for the first time, and, and these seeds may be here at Karis, 
or at your own church, there's a seed that is coming alive in you, that is not the time to uproot that seed and to feed it to your family and friends. When that seed comes alive, that is the time to have roots, to let that seed take root, to let that seed receive the nourishment and the encouragement of a life that tries it and pushes at it, where you default to that truth again and again and again. Because in time, seed, time, and harvest, you're going to bear fruit. And then when someone comes to your life and they go, Don, Bill, how do I do this? Don't feed them the seed. Show them the fruit. Take them out to your vineyards. Take them out to your farm and say, this is fruit. I was in this situation and God came through. I was thinking this thought and God did this. I I received this thought 10 years ago and I've seen it come through again and again and again. The temptation we have, guys, and we're all here, is we try to take something we heard 10 minutes ago and we try to go change the whole world with it. That is seed. Let the seed take root and then bear fruit. And once you have fruit in your life, then go multiply. And so my encouragement for everyone, especially us who are trying to be ministers and trying to save our family and save the world and start a new thing that no eye has seen, (laughs) guys, take the fruit of your life and build the, the ministry from that. Let the Holy Spirit help you export the fruit. That's going to be way more successful because when people receive, they're not interested in seed. No one likes seed. Ugh, it's messy. It's little. It's insignificant. It's going to have to die and it's going to have to get into the dirt and no one sees it. Why do I want seed? They want the fruit. When they sent the 12 spies into, into the promised land, they didn't come back and say, guys, look at these seeds. The seeds are the best seeds I've ever seen. It. Seeds are boring. They said, show me the fruit. And when they saw the fruit, they received a seed. I want that fruit. And then they're open to the process. They're open to the truth that allowed that fruit to come forth. So when you're going to your friends and family, don't give them the seed that you haven't even nailed down. Don't take the biggest heavy revy you heard someone say, a one-liner that you're still chewing on. No, you give them the fruit of your life. The one little thing that has been true when everything else has been a lie And then when they receive that fruit, let them ask for the seed. Let them say, hey, can I I buy that? Can I get more of that in my life? Now you share the seed because that's a heart that's open. That's a heart that's hungry. And so that's my encouragement is let us be people who are passionate about bearing fruit first and then multiplying. Because the world is hungry, but they don't know what they're hungry for. So I encourage you, show them the fruit. Wow, Don, so much revelation in that. I'd like to thank you again for coming on, but it's time that we come to a close, and I will never end a podcast without giving anyone an opportunity to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Don, you've said some really good things, and I hope that you have inspired people. If there's anyone listening and you've never said that prayer, I ask you to repeat a simple prayer after me today. 
Father God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to earth. Jesus, thank you that you came to earth and set a wonderful example of how we can live our life every day. You were tempted in every area, as are we, and yet you never gave in to the temptation of sin. Yet, you were willing to die on a cross so that everyone listening today, all of their sins would be forgiven. You went down into the pits of hell for three days. You actually took the keys from Satan himself and overcame death. For 40 days, you came back to earth and walked on the earth, and many people saw you. And then, after Pentecost, on the 40th day, you rose up as the disciples all watched you. You rose from the dead. Thank you, Jesus. I invite you to come into my heart. I need your help. I ask that you lead me and guide me from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, if any of you repeated that prayer today, or if you have any questions, reach out to me on my Facebook page, Bill Kelly, K-E-L-L-E-Y. And if you have a specific question, reach out to me on Messenger. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Friends, Please join me again tomorrow as we further explore wisdom today.